0: Welcome back to the Talk Sex Podcast. I'm your host, El Stanger. This is the Anxiety and Non-Monogamy episode. Our guest is Lola Phoenix. Hi, Lola.
1: Hello. Hi.
0: Hi. Thanks for being here. Your website is nonmonogamyhelp.com. You're on Twitter and Instagram uh, at nonmonogamyhelp. You wrote a book called The Anxious Person's Guide to Non-Monogamy. Oh, relevant. That's relevant to me. <laughs> So we're going to talk about that. Um, And that is available online. When did it publish?
1: The 21st of June, um, but it's available uh, through the publisher's website and pretty much in a lot of places. Actually, I Googled the title and found it in a lot more places than I knew it was going to be. So it's available pretty much just Google it and you'll find it.
0: Yeah. So it's the anxious person's guide to non monogamy. So, why, Lola, did you write this book?
1: So, I've been writing an advice column and podcast called Non Monogamy Help for a while now. And I noticed that I was repeating kind of very similar things, but I didn't necessarily have time in the column or the podcast to kind of go through or go into detail about these things that I kept repeating. So, I thought that it might be good to have a book that was designed not just for people who are kind of new to non-monogamy, because I'm, I'm a very firm believer that having more experience doesn't necessarily make things easier, depending on what those experiences are, but I wanted to make something that would help people kind of start from a beginning kind of place and establish things that I thought were really helpful in trying to go forward with um being in a non-monogamous relationship regardless of what that is and i wanted it especially to speak to people who are anxious people who have mental health struggles however i do really very much believe that anyone who's trying non-monogamy or the vast majority of people who are trying non-monogamy will experience some anxiety Because it's a very brand new thing, unless they've been raised in a different type of environment. So Mm -hmm. I wanted to create something that really spoke to that. Because in my experience, I've been um, in non monogamous relationships for over a decade. And in my experience, the advice that you're given is sort of like when somebody tells you if you're afraid to fly, and somebody tells you that, oh, you're way more likely to die in a car crash on the way to the airport than you are in the actual plane. Like, All Mm -hmm. of the things that you can like logically know are, you know, maybe comforting in the moment and before you actually are on the plane. But when you're actually on the plane, it doesn't necessarily work or help to address the issue. So that was a big reason why I chose to write it. I just didn't feel like a lot of polyamory advice, especially for people just starting out was actually really helpful for people who had anxiety.
0: Mm -hmm. So I'm looking uh, at the book and you say, you say, this isn't to say that had I been better prepared, I would have been able to avoid some of the emotional difficulties that polyamory caused me. I think the biggest and first mistake people make is trying to avoid feeling bad or avoid difficult emotions that non-monogamy can bring when they enter into it. But it's to say if I had the tools that I'm about to hopefully impart to you, coping would have been far easier. So giving some tools. Yeah, I like um, that there's like practices you can do. You have terms in the book, a glossary of terms.
1: Yeah, I wanted to have like a little bit more practical activities as well rather than just being... I mean, it's not to say that I despise or dislike any of the other books available, but I think that having some actual like prompts, things to think about, things to talk about are really much more helpful to put things into actual practice rather than mm-hmm. just thinking yeah. about
0: Yeah, I it. like lists and outlines and suggestions and games too. <laughs> Exercises. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Did you or do you encounter any opposition to writing about non-monogamy for all these years? You said uh, – you were podcasting. Are you? Are you still podcasting?
1: Yeah, I I release an episode every other week, and I release a column every week that a podcast. Dan, you are busy.
0: Where can we find these?
1: Yeah, at Perfect. nonmonogamyhelp.com. Okay,
0: so yeah, any opposition?
1: I think that because I try to write with an understanding of social power in general in mind. That sometimes does ruffle people's feathers a little bit. In general, I think that most everyday people, their conception of non-monogamy tends to be something like, oh, open relationships don't work, or, you know... I can't do that or I can never do that. And I know why a lot of people might feel that that's upsetting or might find it really difficult to connect to people because they aren't really understood when they're trying to be non-monogamous. So, But I don't tend to necessarily find that people who are monogamous have an opposition to me writing about non-monogamy. Some people are kind of weirdly curious about it. Like when I was trying to actually fundraise for... Um, my breast reduction surgery that was associated with gender feelings. Um, And I was trying to, you know, have articles written about it so that my fundraiser would Mm. get some money. I found that reporters really wanted to talk about non-monogamy, but didn't necessarily want to talk about my chest. So I think people, yeah, I think there's a bizarre, like, weird fascination with it sometimes from media and things like that. And I was also actually way earlier on in an episode of Peaches Geldof show oh. um, about fame. It was called Fame, <laughs> Furries and Fetish. And um, it was very interesting And in that. So sometimes at a lot of uh, polyamory associated events or parties, when there's a big kind of house party or something sometimes a large group of people will cuddle together. It's not something that I actually personally enjoy very much, um, but it's something that tends to happen, but it's not scheduled or planned. And the producers heard about that um, and tried to like facilitate one. And it was really awkward. So like I, there's there's that kind of a morbid curiosity and I hate to call it morbid because it's mm-hmm. it's not morbid, but there's a curiosity that people have, which can definitely be off-putting. I think from within the non-monogamous community, however, I think I definitely have gotten pushback. And that's because I try to talk about overall like systems and, and overall kind of the way that people might be socialized into different things based off of power in our society. And I'm more than willing now to admit that like, that's very much nuanced and depends on the person. And obviously when I get a question, like I only know so much about that person Mm -hmm. other than what they tell me. And sometimes, you know, you, I always, when I make an assumption, say this could be wrong, Mm -hmm. maybe this is wrong, but I definitely did sort of point out common things that I saw that kind of did go along with kind of structural power Mm -hmm. and things like that. So that tends to be sometimes the pushback. I do think that sometimes within the non-monogamous community, people feel an anxiety about- criticism, Showing, yeah. putting on a good show. Yeah. Yeah, criticism and also like putting on a good show. Like, I think that it's hard enough when people are like, oh, this doesn't work. And people who wish to be with the mainstream, people who want to be quote unquote accepted into mainstream society are gonna wanna push back against that. And I compare it a lot to- even though it's it's a different issue and it's not really the same historically. When I was growing up, my mom's gay, and I was involved in a lot of marriage mm-hmm. equality fights and things like that. And the thing that always would happen is that you present this adorable right. lesbian couple that has no, you know been together right. for fifty years, and like this is why they should get married. Shouldn't respectability this politics? Be get- and it's not. Yeah, and it's not that like yeah, it's not that that couple shouldn't get married, but it's that this is the image we want to portray so that we can become accepted Mm -hmm. by the mainstream. So I think when I'm saying like anxiety is normal, actually, and the way that we talk about jealousy and the way that we stigmatize jealousy, the way that we, I disagree about a lot of some of the more popular terms. I disagree with the way couples' privileges is talked about. So that is kind of the opposition that I get within the community is just either I'm talking about social power in a way that they don't necessarily agree with, or I am presenting an image of polyamory or non-monogamy that isn't completely mm-hmm. rosy, which mm-hmm. they don't agree okay, with.
0: Okay. So really interesting. And maybe we'll get into more of the nuance when we do questions. Um, so yeah, yeah, definitely. No, this is great. I'm so happy we're doing this. Uh, okay, so I asked my uh, online followers, I am on Instagram at stripperwriter, I'm on Twitter at L Stanger. so I said, hey anxious people, your biggest challenges with polyamorous slash non-monogs dating are, so I'm going to read you react, Lola, cool, someone Ooh. says... Huh. Being ADHD slash ASD, autism spectrum disorder, and anxious, I worry about yeah. hyperfixating on new or engaging partners. I love that they use the word engaging. So hyperfixating. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And that can scare people. I do that sometimes. I'm like, I'm here. I want to love you. And they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs>
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that that's probably going to be a challenge. A lot of the challenge that people people face within polyamory are things that they also face mm-hmm. within monogamy. I think that if there's a fear of hyperfixating to the point of ignoring mm-hmm. other partners, then I think it's just about being really honest with the people that you know um, and just being like, look, I sometimes get this feeling of, of hyperfixating on one person, can you let me know if you feel like I'm doing that or if you mm-hmm. need more attention? I think that the most important thing and and the thing that I see people doing a lot, not just kind of in, in non-monogamy, but in, in a lot of relationships, I think a lot of communities are kind of encouraging people to take responsibility for other people's emotional well-being in a way that's not mm-hmm. really realistic. And this is very different from like this sometimes quote that you get inside the polyamory community, which is like, you're responsible for your own emotions, which is true, but a lot of people use that as a way to get out of jail. For being <laughs> dick, basically. Like they are, mm-hmm. you have an upset reaction and they go, well, it's your responsibility to manage your emotions. That's mm-hmm. not what I'm talking about. What I mean is that you have to trust that if somebody has a problem with you, that they will speak up. And if they can't speak up for whatever reason, if they don't speak up for whatever reason, there's only so much you can do to, mm-hmm. you can't read their mm-hmm. mind, you know? And it's hard because some people are very conflict avoidant. And some people, especially within polyamory, there's a very big pressure to not rock the boat. Like, I don't want to ruin mm-hmm. this for my partner. I don't want to look jealous. Mm-hmm. I don't want to, you know, sometimes the fear of, of being jealous is so much more anxiety provoking than being jealous mm-hmm. actually is. And you you don't want to rock the boat. And you learn that over time as you build trust with one another, you are, and, and once you do have a reaction or you do say, I don't feel comfortable or I'm, I'm feeling anxious and your partner doesn't run away from that, then over time you can kind of build that trust with them. It's going to be kind of hard, but part of that is also you know, making the agreement with yourself, I will say something. If mm-hmm. I am upset, I will bring it to my partner's attention. And I will also trust that they will bring something to my attention. And we can, it's not about like, oh, I'm upset you stop doing this. It's about, can we have a discussion about this together? Can we work mm-hmm. on this together? And so I think you aren't going to always be able to prevent, you know, you you can have a partner who likes to be left alone or doesn't really mind or notices that you hyperfixate maybe who also does the same and doesn't have a problem or you can have a partner who has you know stuff around that from their childhood that this really upsets and like whatever partner you have however they're going to respond to that has a lot more to do with them than it does mm-hmm. with you so it's not to say that it's not a problem, but instead of trying to be like, I need to not do this or I need to control myself and become this like you know person who never makes a mistake, it's about, okay, if I make a mistake in this relationship, which mm-hmm. I probably will, conflict is inevitable in mm-hmm. most relationships and it doesn't have to be so terrifying. If you just admit that, okay, I- I'm gonna probably make a mistake and how do we work through this together? The biggest thing for me is it was so ironic. I remember the conversation with my therapist because I was literally complaining about a community that got upset with me. I always had problems in online communities because I don't mind conflict in those communities. I like having debates with people. I like disagreeing and I don't think disagreement is scary. And I always got very frustrated mm-hmm. in online communities where the second that any of us had a disagreement, the moderators would come in and be like, okay, stop talking about it. stop talking about this. And I was like, no, the conversation is getting interesting. Like we disagree. Mm-hmm. Um, And then at the same time, in my relationship with my partner, whenever we disagreed, I would be like, oh, my God, is this the end? Are we breaking up now? And my therapist just pointed out, it's like, look, you think conflict is is something that causes growth and understanding in online communities, but you're not seeing it the same way in your Mm. relationships. So it's not to say you should be like, yeah, we're going to have an argument. (laughs) Like, but, you know, if you understand that to a certain extent, some amount of conflict is somewhat inevitable in relationships. Thinking about how you manage it, being willing to tell your partner, making that scary, vulnerable thing to say, hey, this has upset me, can we Mm -hmm. talk about this? And then also trusting that your partner will do that as well. I think that is something better to focus on instead of being like, oh, I know I have this problem and how do I fix myself to Mm -hmm. never ever do this? Because even if you got rid of this hyperfixation, there might be some other thing that could create a conflict Mm -hmm. with somebody else that you can't necessarily Mm -hmm. prevent. Totally.
0: So good answer. Uh, We'll probably get into more of that stuff later too. So other big challenges with polyamorous or non monogs dating, someone says their challenge is believing my primary partner when they say they aren't going to leave me for a new person. I know some people don't believe in primary, secondary, but some people do. Uh, So that's legit. Um, For me, I have to just, I mean, this is probably for a lot of people, but in my experience is if I know that my primary or my nesting partner, um, if they live with me, I consider them a primary partner. Um, If I know that they are Mm -hmm. excited and invested and interested and like wanting to keep building a future with me, then I don't worry about losing them. but. Some people don't communicate mm-hmm. or have that level of security. So I definitely see how it, it's scarier in the beginning when you're like yeah. building with someone to me. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. I think that with this, there's a couple things here. The first thing is, is forgiving yourself for having this fear because this is a very understandable thing. And the thing that makes me saddest about this is when people think that this is irrational and that this is bad. But it's actually very, very rational. It's very, very understandable that you grow up in a monogamous centric society. I assume this person did. And you're told your whole life, not only that you have, you know, that relationships are, you know, monogamous relationships are, you shouldn't be interested in anybody else that you have to compete for a partner, that you win a partner, usually by consuming the right things. And Your brain is trying to survive. You're a social creature. Human beings have survived because we're social, not because we're adept (laughs) hunters, not because we're super strong. We have survived because we're Mm. social and our social connections have kept us alive. And this is the reason why solitary confinement is torture and why it drives us crazy, even for super uh, introverted people like me. So first of all, understanding that your brain is going to be very, very aware that you're not doing things how it's basically been told its entire life Hmm. things should go. So first of all, that's going to freak it out. Second of all, you have been told your whole life that once you secure the partner in the monogamous relationship, that's, you know, everything's settled and fine. And you have the relationship escalator, which I know many people know about. You should Google it if you don't know about it. And you go through all of these steps and they give you this security and you have this cultural script, which, which kind of reinforces that security. And all of that is not something that you necessarily have. Even in a primary relationship, you have to build your own milestones sometimes. So you don't have all of this kind of background confirmation to keep you secure. So of course your brain's freaking out. And then the second big thing about this is that I think for a lot of people, It's very easy for the brain when it's in a situation where it can't really control something to create something that Mm -hmm. it can control. That's been my experience with what anxiety is. That's been what my experience with my OCD has been. It's been, hey, we're in this traumatic situation we can't control. So let's create something that makes us feel like we can control it. And so sometimes when people are, you know, in childhoods that are traumatizing or neglectful or things like that, believing, for example, that your parents will change if you behave a certain way, or that, you know, whoever's hurting you will stop if you behave a certain way. This is this is the underlying foundation under victim blaming. It's the idea that if I behave in this way, I can control mm. this thing. And so... Your brain is very much going like, okay, if I can behave in the right way, if I consume the right things, if I look a certain way, I can keep my partner Mm -hmm. here. I have control of that through Mm. my actions. But the truth is that you don't actually have control of that. Now, obviously, you can be a jerk to your partner. Obviously, you could insult them, and then they will probably (laughs) leave you. So yes, there are things you can do to destroy your relationship. However... Outside of just trying to be the best person that you can be, you can't control whether or not your partner stays with you or not. They can fall out of love of, with you out of their own control. Like they, Even they can't always mm. control that. Things change, things happen, and even in monogamy, this isn't a surefire thing. People's relationships end all the time after mm. years and mm. years of marriage. And if monogamy doesn't control whether or not somebody stays in love with somebody, then nothing you can build in terms of hierarchy or rules or any action you can do will prevent your partner from leaving you. And that can be a really terrifying thing, but it can also be a really freeing thing. Because what it means is that you can just focus on trying to be the best person that you can be and understanding that that's done for you or focusing more on how can you become a better person in a way that pleases yourself the most mm-hmm. and you can trust that you know there isn't anything else that you can do because the unfortunate part of this survival belief it helps you it gives you hope you know if you're a if you're a kid and your parents aren't paying attention to you and you need that attention to survive believing that if you just you know, if you don't spill the milk, then they will be different. That gives you hope in a situation where the only other option is to be comp- become completely desperate. Mm. But I'm not a child anymore and you're not a child anymore. And there is always hope because you have the power to walk away. And also if you buy into this belief that like, I can keep my partner around by behaving in certain ways, you can't do that whilst also not inadvertently blaming yourself for times when Mm -hmm. somebody else dumped you, because then it means that you Mm -hmm. did something wrong when it's just Mm -hmm. not that simple. Obviously, we can make mistakes and learn from those mistakes in relationships, but it's Mm -hmm. never that simple. So for me, it's, you know, the the bog standard polyamory advice in these types of situations has always been like, realize that you're a unique person and you have something unique to offer and nobody else can possibly offer this, this completely unique thing. And that's why your partner loves you and blah, blah, blah. Like, yes, that can help a little bit, but in my experience, it's recognizing and releasing myself from the responsibility to ultimately keep someone around and going like look i'm gonna be the best person i can be but i can't completely control Mm -hmm. this and i release myself from the responsibility to do that i do also agree with what you said in that at first because you're just building your trust with one another you are going to be freaked out and you are going to panic and that's okay don't beat yourself Mm -hmm. up for that The first nights that when I was in a new relationship and my partner spent not even with anybody else, just going to a party, I was completely Mm -hmm. and utterly freaked out. Like, you're going to be freaked out. It's Mm -hmm. okay. Just it will get better as you see that your partner comes back. You will start to build that security. You will start to feel Mm -hmm. safer within that relationship. And that's fine. And that's good to build that. But I think long term, for me at least releasing myself of the responsibility to keep people and understanding that it's way more complicated mm-hmm. than that and seeing this voice in my head of going like we have to we can't you know we have to make sure that we're perfect or else they'll leave is me trying to survive and me saying to that voice like look no matter what happens i'm always mm-hmm. here for me and i'm always there for me and i can't control other people but i can control whether or not mm-hmm. i'm there for me and you know that is That is the thing that's helped me honestly the most with almost all of my anxiety has been allowing myself this freak out voice, understanding this voice isn't my enemy. It's just trying to help Mm -hmm. me survive and letting it have a little bit of fear and understanding that you're still there for yourself no matter what. And that in the end helps out a lot more in my experience and just saying, oh, I'm super great. And that's Mm -hmm. why someone's with me
0: in uh, whether I was monogs or open or single, actually uh, like entirely solo. um, I've noticed that I always feel better rather than like waiting and waiting. Like, are they going to text me back? Are they going to text me back? And like stewing on it. If I do something productive for myself while I am spinning my wheels with anxiety, by the end of the day whether or not they texted me my house is cleaner or i dyed my hair and it looks great or like <laughs> you know or i scheduled something so it's like yeah Definitely. my life i'm determined to grow my life and if someone's like not going to want me in theirs at least i can still grow mine right i feel like that's what you're saying yeah
1: yeah 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 and having some type of distraction i always tell people like the first night is going to suck um, be prepared for that. It might not suck. Like some people may be able to cope with this in a very, very easy way. That's fine. For most people, I find it just easier to say the first night's going to suck. Make sure that you have stuff planned for yourself to do. If you don't have a date yourself, Mm -hmm. you know, treat yourself, do, you know, have a friend be with you. Like, otherwise it's going to suck or just expect it to suck and, you know, just ride it out and you'll be fine. Like most panic attacks, it's like, yeah, they suck. And once it's there, once you're having one, you feel like you're gonna die. But like the more that you realize I've been through this before, I'm gonna be okay, I'm gonna come out of it the other end, the easier it is once mm-hmm. the panic And also does it's start.
0: like, I like to ask people to ask themselves like, why are we doing this? Like when non-monogamy became stressful for me and my nesting partner, we were like, can we take, let's take a break. Like, and that worked for us, you know? But I mean, there's reasons probably why you want to be a non-monogamous person um and people do attain those and like find the practices that work for them but i feel like it's definitely a learning curve where you have to check in and be like am i doing this for the right reasons <laughs> what are my reasons
1: yeah, yeah yeah definitely that's kind of like what i call an anchor i think that you need in the book. I talk about how an anchor needs. You need to have a personal reason for wanting to do it, and it's it's very similar to like if you like grew up in the city your whole life and you wanted to move to the country. Mm. It, you know, there it's a different type of lifestyle, and maybe that seems a little bit silly mm-hmm. to compare it to, but it is a different way of going about things. And so you need to have a reason for why it is that mm. you chose to do this, because every every lifestyle <laughs> I actually, but. Every single life choice you make has ups and downs and pros and cons. When you have a scripted, you know, if you if you go to college, you know that it's going to be difficult. If you go to medical school, you know mm-hmm. it's going to be difficult. You you have a reason to go. And because society has told you medical, medical school is really hard you are going to be prepared for that. But you don't really know what it is that you're prepared for when it comes to non-monogamy. And the only thing you might know is that, quote, unquote, open relationships don't work. So mm-hmm. you're already kind of in a negative headspace mm-hmm. to begin with. So, you know, if if you if you just give yourself a little bit of a break, I think sometimes, and and allow yourself to understand that you will have a panic, you will freak out, but If you have a little bit of an anchor, a personal reason for why you're interested in it that isn't saving Mm. a relationship, then that can often be the thing that brings you back to it when you're having this bad time. You're like, okay, this is the reason Mm -hmm. I chose this, Mm
0: -hmm. so on and so forth. Great reminders. Yeah, I'm looking. I see anchor, have an anchor, page 19. So the book is The Anxious Person's Guide to Non-Monogamy. The author and our guest is Lola Phoenix, uh, nonmonogamyhelp.com, Twitter and Instagram by the same name. My name is Elle Stanger. I am an ASECT certified sex educator and longtime adult industry and sex worker. Um, My whole body hurts from dancing and working and talking and grinding at the strip club last night. (laughs) Mm, Big time. Um, Okay. So we're going to take a break. trained to be a sex educator. I went to instituteforsexuality.com. If you do not need to be sex certified, you can take their shorter program. It's new. It's called Sweet Sexual Wellness Education and Enlightenment Training. It's about half the price of their regular program, and you can do it at your own pace because it's all on demand. You can take it online. You can take one learning path at a time to make it more manageable financially. Go to instituteforsexuality.com and click on on-demand programs, you can check out their other classes too. Welcome back to the Talk Sex podcast. You can find me, your host, L Stanger, at lstanger.com or stripperwriter.com. I'm also on Twitter at Lstanger, and I have a subscribers page where I post boobs and bush and journals and private stuff and rants that I can't or don't really want to post on general social media that is patreon.com forward slash you do have to type in the url because we are 18 and over only so patreon hides the page super cool okay so this is the anxiety and non-monogamy episode hi lola hi, hi. phoenix let's do some listener questions All right. Listener question one. Uh, I would like to try it, someone says non monogs or polyamorous uh, practices, but I'm not sure how to deal with no longer being
1: the main
0: partner. Thoughts?
1: I, I think that, you know, people are sometimes the main partner within non monogamy. So you may not necessarily have to deal with that. But the thing that I would kind of challenge you is that sometimes being the quote unquote main partner is not as <laughs> true. Oh, my honest. God. Like that, <laughs> that's, um that's the thing that always particularly and one of the reasons why I don't like the way I'm not I'm not denying in any way that couples in some formations are very much privileged within overall society. Mm-hmm. And definitely people operating as single individuals don't get some of the perks and there's a lot of cultural assumptions and et cetera and so forth. I think that depends on who mm-hmm. you are. Like I think single women are looked at very differently than single mm-hmm. men. But I I think that the problem that I have with the assumption that, you know, when there's a couple and they're living together and they're cohabitating in their quote unquote primaries or mains that this is the privileged part of the, the sort of setup is it's just a little bit more complicated than that. My experience has been actually when you live together because you live together, you actually don't spend a lot of time together because you live together all the time. You don't schedule dates. You're sometimes forgotten about Mm -hmm. to be perfectly Mm -hmm. honest. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. You're, you have to deal with, uh, You know, the other people sometimes deal with the more fun stuff, they get to go out, they get to have fun. Mm -hmm. And then you have to deal with the household labor, the chores, the arguments about bills, you know, there's a lot of downsides to being in a main quote unquote relationship Mm -hmm. that, you know, I guess it depends like some quote unquote, secondaries, or however, may also have to deal with some of that stuff It really depends on the people Mm -hmm. involved. But being the quote unquote, main partner comes with its challenges Mm -hmm. too. And it doesn't necessarily mean you're always going to get prioritized or chosen. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I have found that it's actually quite difficult because I've been in relationships where my partner has gone out of their way for other people because they're new and shiny but won't necessarily do the same mm-hmm. for me. So mm-hmm. it's not always a, the fun, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. great deal it's, it's made out to be. But I think if you're worried about being, you know, not being the only one, I think the first thing that you can ask if you're interested in trying non-monogamy, the very first thing before you get to anything else that I suggest you thinking about is could you be in a monogamous relationship where your partner has a time-intensive career? Or is not around Mm, you for a long time. Or
0: travels for a long time. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Travels is a doctor, is in the army, it's something like that. Like, because the the one thing, yeah, the one thing that's true for most non monogamous situations, pretty much all of them, is that your partner won't be spending all of their time with you. And some monogamous relationships are like that. When people have a lot of children, sometimes Mm, it's like that. So, mm Could you see yourself in a situation like that? If you feel like no, I couldn't really do a situation like that, then maybe it's it's not something you would actually enjoy. It's not it doesn't have to do with whether or not you can hack it. Um, it can just be like, look, I I wouldn't enjoy that. It's the same comparison I'm going to make in again, living in the country versus living in the city. It's not as if people who live in the country can't handle living in a city. I mean, some people might feel that way, <laughs> but. It's, it's not a judgment. Mm-hmm. It's it's about how you want to live your mm-hmm. life. And do you want a life where your partner doesn't spend 100% or a good deal of their time mm-hmm. with you? And if you can say, oh, actually, I think I would be fine with that or sacrificing that would be worth it if I also got to date other people, then you're starting to, to make the steps. And then I think once you deal with that, I think you should think about what your ideal setup would be and and think about the physicalities of that. So what do you mean by main partner? Mm-hmm. What do you want? Do you want to cohabitate together? Do you want do you envision if you have a non-monogamous relationship that your partner spends weekends with their other partners or Tuesday nights or like how would you how would you work out the kind of physicality Of the situation and sometimes that can help you a little bit more than thinking about the like emotional stuff because the emotional stuff is very hard to predict and it's very hard to say how one person's going to develop an attachment people can be very different about how they form attachments with other people like i dated uh one person for a very long time and all of the people he dated i called them his partners and he was like no they're not my partners they're just people that i date but we're not really partners <laughs> but if i was in the same <laughs> if i was in the same situation they would be partners mm-hmm. to me so we were very different in terms of how we perceived connections and how we valued them. And you're not really going to be able to predict that completely if you're single Mm -hmm. right now. So maybe think about what the physicalities mean for you. What do you want? How do you envision your life together? And consider that maybe this seems a little bit silly, but most monogamous people or most people living in a monogamous centric society, they've been envisioning what their life would be like forever. Like since they were little kids, they've been encouraged to think about you know play house and things like that they've been encouraged to think about the the love of their life through all sorts of variety of media since they were little mm-hmm. so you haven't really had time to think about like oh wait a minute what does my life actually look like what is my ideal what is wh- how do i want things to be and you may not fully know but having some good ideas of like okay i could see myself like being cool with my partner going out every weekend or us exchanging weekends. We have one, one weekend I'm babysitting, the other week, you know, like think about things like that before you kind of go into quote unquote main partner because there's so much involved in that and there are monogamous people who could tell you that someone living with them, someone being married to them for ages doesn't necessarily mean that that person values mm-hmm. them. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, mm-hmm. somebody's emotional attachment, I'm not trying to make you be negative about it, but, mm-hmm. you know, you never you never know how things are going to play out when it comes Mm-mm. to that. And it's very, very tricky to start trying to navigate that before you even know how how you mm-hmm. want to live. Basically. Yeah.
0: I like to imagine all the different ways I could live my life and be happy with it. There's a lot of ways. Uh So this brings me to listener question two. How do I unlearn the belief that sex should only be shared in a monogamous relationship? I would encourage you to ask yourself why? Like, why? Why?
1: (laughs) And what is it about sex that you feel is sacrosanct? Because the thing that I think is interesting about that question is I think people put a lot of a lot of emotions on sex for for understandably like i'm not i don't think people should completely always divorce it some people do divorce it in their head between sex and love and romance and all sorts of these things but we've been sort of encouraged um our entire lives in monogamous centric societies to believe that sex and love and all of this are one and one and the same and that you know if you're sexually attracted to someone who's not your partner then you, there's something wrong with you. And I actually think that there's a lot of beliefs within monogamy that are quite damaging to monogamous people. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of you know unrealistic expectations that monogamous people have to live up to. And I don't think that that's actually fair for them. So I think first and foremost is thinking about what do I think about sex? What is it about sex? Because here's the thing, People think that non-monogamy is, it feels more emotionally threatening to them, right? Like, oh, if I let my partner sleep with somebody else, then that person might be better than, at sex than me and then my partner will leave me and, and it's the sex that I need to control and keep and, and that's the thing that I need to worry about. But it's not everything. Mm-hmm. It really isn't. As much as we're kind of encouraged to believe that it's everything, it's really not. And people fall in love with other people without ever taking their clothes off. So, and, and, you know, just because you fall in love with someone doesn't necessarily mean that sex is going to be perfect. Mm-hmm. like Or that you have it I at all. I think that this, yeah, or that you have it at all. And I mean, maybe from the percep- perception of someone, I'm somewhat on the asexual spectrum, not completely, mm-hmm. but I definitely understand that like you know sex can also be a fun like bonding friendship associated mm-hmm. thing and not necessarily at all associated <laughs> I've with romance. Had sex with
0: so many of my and, friends
1: and <laughs> you know yeah and and you know i think another thing that might interest this person if they haven't already talked to sex workers is actually talking to sex workers about if Mm -hmm. you know or listening or reading about the work that sex workers do because a lot of it is emotional support Mm -hmm. it's it's not always just i mean yeah i guess some clients will just literally be there for Mm -hmm. the sex but a lot of it is emotional Mm -hmm. support there is way more to it than than just that and so i think that you it's about kind of unpacking that you know what is sex what does it mean Mm -hmm. to you and it's okay if you personally like i think i think sometimes people think that because they have a personal preference that everyone should be that way or or they feel bad for their personal mm. preference in some ways and think that it's like some sort of puritanical thing. I had that actually. Um, I w- became kind of a big sex nerd and, and wanted to be a sex educator and was researching as much as possible. and you know, I thought when I first started out in polyamory that my asexuality or my kind of, you know, demisexuality or however you want to call it. I thought that it was like a puritanical hangout mm. and I thought that I would be able to break myself out of it by like pushing myself. Yeah. I just thought that, you know, I was but, being, prude. but that's just
0: you. That's just and how you are. Yeah.
1: That's cool. Yeah. And I didn't want to be because I wanted to be fun and I wanted to have hookups and flings. and I want to, you know, mm-hmm. like I didn't want to be that way, but maybe for you, sex is something you only want within a particular monogamous relationship and that's okay if that's how emotionally you feel as long as you're not forcing anybody else to also be that way
0: mm-hmm.
1: that's okay mm-hmm. so does your belief come from your own personal preference and are you just assuming that you're a stick in the mud because you know you aren't as cool mm-hmm. as you, can't be, you know and it, don't don't think mm-hmm. that like it's okay if if you if you don't want hookups if you don't want mm-hmm. one night stands if you don't want mm-hmm. flings that's mm-hmm. okay. It doesn't mean that you're a prude. Mm-hmm. It it can just be your personal mm-hmm. feelings. That's mm-hmm. all right.
0: So uh, we'll have to go a little shorter on these. I love talking about all this stuff. I wish we had more time. Uh, <laughs> right? yeah, no worries. Mr. question three. How do I, this is very, very similar to what we just talked about. How do I navigate the jealousy of a partner sleeping with other people? I don't know if they mean sleeping in a bed overnight because that can be really intimate or if you just mean like having sex with.
1: I think, yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. they mean
0: having sex. Cuz I, I just want to say that I've I've seen people say that like the sex part isn't so intimate but like the sleepover can be. Like personally, for, for me yeah. personally, sex is is something that I can be curious and fun and exploratory about and it doesn't mean that I Want to sleep in the same bed with that person at all? I don't want their morning breath. I don't want their feet on me. (laughs) Like, like I'm curious (laughs) about your body to a point, and then we can go our separate ways for a while and, like, you know, text you later. Um, so I'm just this is my response because I wanted to call in the question of what is actually Mm -hmm. intimate for some people it's sex, for some people it's cuddling, or both.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you're gonna be jealous, and that's okay. I think that one of the biggest things that I see people do in polyamory and kind of shooting themselves in the foot a little bit is expecting that they won't have any feelings or getting freaked out by having feelings and then going, Oh my God, this means I can't do it. Abort, abort, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm like, and, and it's okay if you have feelings. You're gonna be scared. Like everything that I've already mentioned, like you've been raised in a society that tells you that your partner sleeping with somebody else is a massive threat to your relationship. Of course, you're gonna be scared. Mm-hmm. So allow yourself to be a little bit scared. And also another thing that I see people do is they think that like by like exposing themselves to as much detail as possible that they're gonna like inoculate no. themselves against no. anxiety. Don't Please don't, do, don't that. do that. I no you don't- You don't need to. uh, Yeah. Yeah, No,
0: same. No, I know. Yeah, definitely. Like, I think out of respect for the other person, like, I wouldn't even ask my partner about the sex they had with someone else out of respect for the other person. Yeah.
1: Yeah. They may also not want you to know, Yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, But yeah, just expect that you'll feel jealous and that's okay. And understand that, like, you know, there's so many different things about sex that, uh, you know, it's easy to simplify it in your brain and be like, someone's good or bad Mm -hmm. in bed. Like, and sometimes people are maybe so bad that it's not a question of nuance, (laughs) but, or so good that it's not a question of nuance. But like, there's so many different aspects Mm -hmm. about sex that are different to different Mm -hmm. people. And expect that you're never gonna be able to like perfectly match with somebody when it comes to your sexual compatibility Mm -hmm. completely and utterly. And that's okay. And just because... You know, I think just because someone else maybe is quote unquote better or does something different to you doesn't mean like it's, it's not all there Mm -hmm. is. It's easy to feel like that's all there is because we attach a lot of emotions, understandably to it, but it's not all there is. And if, you know, sometimes you just have to sit through some of that jealousy and know that like, okay, I'm feeling this way. I'm, you know, especially if it's a new relationship but where this is the first time they've slept with somebody Mm -hmm. else. And just sit with it and you probably will feel a little bit better. But don't shoot yourself in the foot by being mad at yourself for having it in the first place because it's very, very common mm-hmm. and it's okay. And it's
0: like if it's your partner or someone you care about, your friend, you know, whatever, like it's fun. You want them to have fun. You want them to have a nice time, right? Because you care about them and they deserve that and life is hard. And so you hope they have a good time and you don't necessarily need to hear about it yeah. at all <laughs> or much.
1: No, <laughs> I remember when I
0: found out, um, I don't remember how, um, but at some point one of my, uh, nesting mates, um, he was seeing someone who they had anal sex and at first I, and I don't, we didn't, we didn't. And it was because anal sex Mm -hmm. is not something I can easily do. Um, I I require a lot of prep. It just doesn't call to me and that's fine. But initially I remember feeling like threatened Mm -hmm. and jealous where I was like, oh my gosh, like he's going to get that from her and not me. And then I thought I relaxed because I was like, oh, he can get that from her and not me. (laughs) What a relief. That's also a big benefit. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Um, I don't have to watch comic book movie things with my husband. He can do that with his other lady friend or whatever. Yeah, Go do that. Um. Okay, yeah. listener question four. Someone says, figuring out boundaries by trial and error has caused a lot of problems for me. Any suggestions? Well, get your book, uh, <laughs> The Anxious Person's <laughs> Guide to Non-Monogamy.
1: Yeah, I think also sometimes that's how it is. Like sometimes you don't know that you have a boundary until it's been Ooh. crossed. Mm-hmm. And and, and, and that isn't your fault. You can't always predict. And that's another thing that I think that people really struggle with and I've really struggled with is I want to be able to give my partner the absolute guarantee that I'm not going to freak out or I'm not going to have any feelings. But I can't. I can't give that guarantee. And it sucks because you... So many... When people open, so many people are like, okay, you've got the go-ahead. Go ahead, open. Go ahead, go on your date. And then once you've said, okay, go you feel like you can't take it back or you feel like you can't say, Oh, actually I'm feeling crap. And then you're kind of stuck. Mm. And I think just, just allowing, you know, yourself to have feelings and to not have to give a permission. Like I used to fight back against that quite a lot in any, in any of my relationships. And, and I had a partner who would quite often ask me for permission more or less because he was anxious and he wanted to deal with his anxiety by getting my permission. And I had to push back on that and say like, look, I get it. Like, but we're in a non-monogamous relationship. Theoretically, you already have permission. Mm -hmm. So please don't try to address your anxiety by getting the go ahead because I could have feelings Mm -hmm. later and just trust that we'll be able to work Mm -hmm. it out. So I think maybe don't push yourself into not, you know, knowing every single boundary that you ever have or knowing any time that you're you're going to be upset or not And I think that this is kind of part of the the culture that we're living in a little bit online sometimes. It's that we're expected to know everything that might upset Mm -hmm. everybody else, and you don't Mm -hmm. always know. So it's not about being perfect. It's about saying, okay, instead of trying to like set boundaries and say, okay, now this is this rule, and now this is this how I feel – Maybe work on a relationship with your partner where you leave that a little bit open-ended and you say, like, what do we do when I'm upset? How do we handle this? What do we do when you're upset? How do we handle this? And figure out what the trial is. And then maybe that won't cause so many problems.
0: Mm-hmm. So we're going to take another break. We are talking to Lola Phoenix. Her book is – I'm sorry. I didn't ask your pronouns. What are your pronouns, Lola? I
1: use they okay. or she. Same. No mine.
0: Uh, Lola's book is The Anxious Person's Guide to Non-Monogamy. You can find it all over the internets and find her social at Twitter and Instagram at nonmonogamyhelp. Did you know that Monistat and Vagisil can make your vagina so much more unhealthy and actually make it burn? So instead, I recommend Momotaro Apotheca's Salves and Oils. Check out their products. I even use it to prevent razor burn because I shave pretty often down there. Use code STRIPPERWRITER. Hey, that's me! For a discount and let us know how you like our products and stay tuned for an upcoming episode on vulva and vaginal health because I love talking to small business owners that are creating better products for our bodies. And that
1: includes...
0: Welcome back to the Talk Sex podcast. This is the anxiety and non-monogamy episode. So let's do one more listener question, Lola Phoenix. Uh, Someone says, I have a tough time discerning between irrational anxiety and my gut instincts that something isn't right or that it's a red flag. How do I help with that? Telling the difference between what is irrational and that something is a red flag.
1: So the first thing I wanna challenge on that is that anxiety isn't irrational. We sometimes tend to think it is because obviously it's against what we want ourselves to feel. But anxiety is very rational and it's all about protecting yourself. And especially if you have probably reasons in your past for why you're having anxiety on top of all of the mm-hmm. other things in terms of you know being non-monogamous in a culture where you don't have any cultural scripts for it. Your anxiety is very rational. So give your anxiety a little bit of credit when it comes to that. Second thing I think is that sense checking things with friends in terms of like, if you really mean a red flag, like a genuine concern. Sense checking things with friends is always a nice thing to do. And generally speaking, uh, there's a great book called Why Does He Do That by Lindy Bancroft. And I recommend it all of Mm. the time because it's something that really helped me like look at patterns of abusive behaviors. And one of the things that people who are abusive tend to do is try to isolate you away from Mm. friends and family and people that you trust. And that is because often sense checking things with friends tends to help Mm -hmm. you with understanding different types of behaviors and make sure that you have a variety of friends and that the friends that you have are genuinely caring about your well-being. That seems weird Mm -hmm. to say, but, you know, or if you have the ability to see a therapist, that's also Mm -hmm. a good thing. And second thing, or maybe third thing is be there for yourself. If you get something wrong and something, you know, is you freak out a little bit and it turns out it wasn't something to freak out about, that's okay. You'll be there for yourself. If you're, you know, you don't see a red flag or whatever, you can be there for yourself. Like understand that as much as you want to protect yourself, you can't always protect yourself from everything. You can't like again, this is about releasing that responsibility off of your shoulders and that's really hard like in a culture especially if you're a woman or if you've um, you know, been identified that way throughout different periods of your life there's a lot of pressure put on your shoulders to identify threats and protect yourself from that threat. And that can leave you in a very Mm hypervigilant state and sort of make you feel like it's your responsibility. And and it's hard to break out of that mental kind of, if I don't protect myself, then I'm to blame and I will be blamed. Mm -hmm. But you know, part of it's that survival instinct of your brain to try and help you. Another part of it is that cultural expectation. And so I think just remembering that you'll be there for yourself, like you will be okay. And also, you know, having partners that understand you explaining to them, like sometimes I get a little freaked out, you know, the best thing that's also helped me with my anxiety, as well as some of the internal work I've done is having partners who understand that and understand that it's not personal. And understand that it's not that I don't trust them or care about them. It's just that I have this anxiety from how I've grown up from the things in, you know, the way that I've grown up. Mm-hmm. And they understand that and they can be there for me and anticipate that and not take it personally. So there's a lot of different things that you can do. But, you know, first and foremost, like give your anxiety a little bit, give your brain a little bit of credit, you know, we're the product mm-hmm. of a lot of evolution And we live very different lives than our ancestors Mm -hmm. lived, you know? We don't have things chasing us as much. Generally speaking, (laughs) different people have different Mm -hmm. lives. I'm not going to judge. But we, you know, we have the same stress responses. Mm -hmm. So give yourself a little bit of Mm -hmm. credit because your brain is trying to help you.
0: This reminds me of an interaction uh, I had in the dressing room with a co-stripper friend where like (laughs) it was (laughs) – So we were like into it, like we were talking about her dating and my dating and I was analyzing for her mm-hmm. like pages of a text conversation with the person she's dating and like just really, really analyzing it. And, um, you know, I told her like because she didn't know she didn't know if she was being irrational or if he was showing a red yeah. flag. So we're going through it, going through it. Mm-hmm. And I told her kind of what you said, where I said, well. Have you been cheated on before? And she says, yeah, every boyfriend I've ever had. I said, okay, so number Mm. one, that makes sense why you're feeling this way because you're afraid it's going to happen again. So credit for that. Mm. And then also I said, when your brain is constantly looking for stuff to keep you safe, and if it actually happens to be right, you know, then I think sometimes you reinforced that anxiety where you're like, I knew this was going to happen, and then it did. And it's like, well, sometimes you're just right because anxiety is a tool that can help. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, good. I love your advice. I love when I see, um, yeah, I love, I love seeing how this like plays out in my real world sometimes when I hear from, uh, my guests. So you mentioned already the book, why does he do that? Uh, what Mm -hmm. other books or resources, websites, people do you recommend or have been helpful to you?
1: I think Rewriting the Rules by Meg John Barker is a a very, very great uh, kind of starter for anyone interested in non-monogamy or polyamory. I think for me, one of the biggest things that's been most helpful, and I've done this through like, to be honest, a series of um, Instagram accounts that I've read and, and other things, but understanding my nervous system has been one of the most helpful things because attachment styles I didn't really understand and I didn't really connect with. I'm not saying that they don't work for other people, but they didn't it didn't really work for me. But learning about my nervous system, uh, there's an Instagram account called repairing the nervous system um and I'm sure there are plenty more um accounts and books you can find about the nervous system, but understanding that this is how my nervous system is reacting, that I'm incapable sometimes of learning or really gathering new information whilst I'm in a a fight or flight state, that was really, really important for me, like all around in every aspect of my life, because I was probably one of those people that, or I wasn't probably, I definitely was one of those people that believed that you had to resolve an argument as soon as possible. Like you had to Mm. resolve it right away. You can't go to bed. We must fix this problem Mm -hmm. now, or it'll be the end. Never go to bed. angry. Yeah, that was the worst thing (laughs) in the entire book. Yeah, that was awful. So understanding that it's my nervous system that is making me feel like it has to be resolved now. Learning how to balance it and soothe myself is a big Mm -hmm. thing. Um, Todd Baratz has an amazing Instagram account called Your Diagnonsense, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. I really, really Mm -hmm. love. Has so much good relationship advice. Um, and even though it's more directed for monogamous people, I've been actually reading how to not die alone by uh, Logan Yuri, which is also, um, I don't, I, I don't think I necessarily have the same because of my exposure to polyamory. I think I've, I don't have the same kind of relationship, like fant, not fantasy, but, but like the idea that there will be one perfect person who will always work out. I think I've already broken through some right. of that, but I still think it's, it's been really, really helpful about like really looking at your dating behaviors mm. and are you actually kind of sabotaging yourself a little bit? Mm-hmm. So yeah, those things uh, would be a great start. There is also a recommended reading section uh, about all kinds of different topics actually. in, in my book in the back. So, um, but those things are good, good ways to start. Hell
0: Yeah. That is so much great advice. Okay. And again, your book, because I'm sure a ton of people are already looking it up because it's going to be super helpful is the anxious person's guide to non-monogamy. Oh yeah. Thank you. So, okay, Lola Phoenix. We've got a few more minutes. Um, somebody used the term object permanence a couple times when I was sourcing feedback about mm-hmm. building this episode. Uh, so object permanence or impermanence is a term people use to me when relating their feeling of anxiety, when their partner isn't around or reachable. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Isn't object uh, permanence like it like when it's when yeah. babies think that you're yes. gone because you hide yes. your face. So we start um, learning
0: about object impermanence or permanence when we're pretty little that things can move. So someone said to me, yeah, yeah, someone said I struggle with object permanence and I feel anxiety whenever my partner isn't around me. And I thought that was really interesting mm. because that relates to attachment, wounding. Um which mm-hmm. I have, I learned. Ooh, and it answered so many questions. And I also mm-hmm. experienced the same thing. And now that I'm dating someone who lives a hundred miles away, if I don't see them regularly, I start having really wild thoughts where I'm like, what if they don't even like me? Would they be sad if we broke up? And I know it's that self-sabotage. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, yeah, I was interested to hear if you had heard that before that term used.
1: Um, I haven't heard of that as related to anxiety, but it makes sense. I think... You know, if you don't see someone for a while, and um, some people are really different in terms of their relationships. So some people can have, um, I can't remember what it's called, but they they don't experience any friendship degradation, right? Mm. So like, if they they could go on not speaking to a friend for like three months and still pick up right back where they left and don't feel like the friendship has Mm -hmm. degraded, whereas other people feel like if they don't, I'm kind of one of those people, like if you don't talk to me regularly then I'm not going to feel as close Mm -hmm. to you as I would, you know, I can't, I can't keep that high level of friendship to somebody who doesn't talk Mm -hmm. to me. Right. So I think that there's an understandable amount of anxiety there when somebody isn't around you or reachable, you are going to have a little bit of a freak out and you are, your brain is going to start wondering things. And this actually is something my therapist pointed out to me Mm -hmm. because I have really intense health anxiety for a long time. Like anytime I got a headache, I was like, it's a tumor. I'm going to die. And it it was really bad. Like think Chris Traeger on Parks and Rec. It was intense. It was awful. And it's, it's terrible because you know, you're being ridiculous, but your brain is like, what if I'm right (sighs) this time? And I had a such an amazing supportive, uh, general practitioner GP that listened to a lot of my freakouts. But what really kind of helped for me when it came to that was, well, first of all, I had like a, a kind of, I know what you did last summer moment where I was just like, okay, fine. Kill me <sighs> then. If you're really going to kill me, right. then do it. I Go ahead. I'm yeah. ready. You know? Yeah. I dare you. And that, that when also kind that of helped I'm
0: being a, irrational and anxious I will uh I'll ask for validation in a really really easy way I'll text partner and say yes you call me baby or I'll just like send a worm emoji which means I feel small like a little worm <laughs> worm needs love
1: oh that's really <laughs> that's cute so what I, what I remembered was with my, with my health anxiety, I, I was really frustrated with it. And I spoke with my therapist and I was like, I don't know why. Why is my brain doing this? Like, I understand that my brain is trying to help me survive, but why is it doing this? And my therapist explained that when you feel a big amount of anxiety, your brain is also going to try and figure out what it is that's causing mm-hmm. it. And so there has to be a big reason for you to have this much anxiety. Mm. So it's not necessarily always that you're actually afraid you have a tumor in your brain. It's that you have this massive anxious response to a pain in your head and your brain's going, oh my God, there's this big, it must Mm -hmm. be a tumor. So maybe for object permeance, it's less about, you know, your part, you know, you have a feeling that you're, uh, this massive amount of anxiety Mm -hmm. when your partners are around. It must be for a reason. And so your brain, it must be for a reason because your brain is trying to help you survive. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think stuff like that, like you just mentioned, like a little bit of, of asking, you know, Hey, can I have a little bit of, but if they're really unreachable, then, um, I used to have something similar to this. Like whenever, first date nights or any time my partner I, I I'm a big introvert. I like to stay mm-hmm. home and I was dating somebody who was a super extrovert and loved going to oh, parties. So I always tough. had this constant fear of like they're gonna find somebody who loves right. parties and then they're gonna leave me because I'm yeah. boring and I'm not, not a party and, partner. You know, yeah. Um I'm not the, you know, and all the and all that other stuff as well with the, you know, being slightly on the asexual spectrum and being like, I'm the stick in the mud. I'm no fun. I'm a prude. you know, all <laughs> hmm. this stuff. And I would actually write letters to my partner when I was scared. Um, I would write letters about like at saying, I hope things are going well. And like, I love you. And like thinking about how much I cared about them. And that kind of made them feel a little bit closer, even when they were Mm. apart. So sometimes stuff like that can help like writing. And I think generally, like there's so many times where therapists and people recommend like you write a letter about how you feel and then you burn Mm -hmm. it or don't give it to the person or something like that. But you can actually like make a nice card, like uh, a nice little present for Mm -hmm. your partner. And sometimes that can really help if something else isn't working um, in terms of like you don't have anything to distract yourself because sometimes it didn't because I I liked staying at home. So I didn't (laughs) have anywhere else to go. So, um, that helped Mm -hmm. a lot. So I think give yourself a little bit of a break. You're probably having big feelings because your partner isn't around and you're having this big anxious response because you're scared of losing them. And then your brain is Mm going to be like, why am I having this? Let's figure it out. Mm -hmm. You know? So give yourself a little bit of a break Mm -hmm. and, you know, learn how to soothe yourself a little bit. And I think the rest of the, what we've already spoke about might be helpful, Mm -hmm. but, it's it's very understandable. It's not it's not you being Mm-mm. silly at all.
0: I like to sometimes write myself a list or journal the things that my person in question has done for me or like ways that they've showed up that um, ways that they've showed that they care. this way I'm like, oh, yeah, we, we actually mm-hmm. shared like a lot of stuff together and like, OK, I feel better now. <laughs> Yeah. I love writing Mm -hmm. practices. Yeah.
1: That can also be helpful.
0: So what is Um, your least favorite advice to receive as an anxious person?
1: I think that probably my least favorite advice, especially when it comes to polyamory and anxiety, um, probably is the, the sort of like, you know, you're, you're a a lovely person and like recognize that you have something unique to offer and your partner is, is with you for a unique reason, because that is, it's not to say it's not true, but it doesn't really help at the time, because especially if you have a really hard time with self-love, and I, I did have a really hard time with it for a long time, and I was very bad at self attacking, and I'm, I'm much better at it now than I used mm-hmm. to be. But you can't really go from like self-attack, and and you, you're self-attacking for a reason. At some point, your brain learned that you know, attacking yourself is advantageous to your survival. So that's why mm-hmm. it's doing it. Um, maybe if you grew up in a situation where everyone was attacking you, it makes sense to go with the group and not fight against that. So you're going to be self-attacking and, and you can't really go from self-attack to like self-love. And to expect that of yourself is, is not really mm-hmm. helpful. It's sort of like body positivity and like sometimes what the best you can shoot for is body neutrality Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and and you can't always expect yourself to be like i'm amazing Mm -hmm. and wonderful like i think that 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 has been so unhelpful to so many people because it's reinforced the idea that it's your responsibility to keep people around by continuing to be a unique and special, amazing mm-hmm. individual that attracts them and keeps them around. And that just reinforces the anxiety. It doesn't make it go Man. away. Yeah. It doesn't make now it go I gotta away. Perform. So that's my least favorite. Yeah. <laughs> <That is great. laughs> you got to be special <laughs> and unique. Toxic positivity. Offer things. Yeah.
0: Toxic positivity comes to mind. So uh, this is a sex podcast sometimes. I ask every guest this. Do you have any sex tips for our audience?
1: I do, actually. I think the best thing that I ever did, I had a lot of internalized biphobia um, growing up, um, mostly because for lots of different reasons uh, that have to deal with like abuse and things I went through. I found it really hard to date women or hit on women. um, And I also really questioned myself because of biphobia, like whether or not I was bisexual and it took a very long time for me to even admit it. And so I was very much afraid of, you know, there's the story of like the straight girl who destroys a lesbian's heart and I didn't want to be that person and I was really, really scared of ever entering into a relationship with a woman because I was like, I'm going to, what if I'm not really bi and I'm going to break her heart and being on the ace spectrum on top of that doesn't really help because you don't necessarily feel attraction in the same way other people mm-hmm. do. So I think that what a lot of people don't consider as the, as a solution to that is hiring a sex worker. And, and speaking with a sex worker about this specific issue and being like, look, I am interested in this and I'm really afraid. And the, the great thing about doing that and considering that is that, you know, if you decide that you don't want to do anything else, then it, it's not to say that like somebody isn't, you know, a sex worker isn't going to have feelings mm-hmm. if you are mean or rude. I'm not mm-hmm. saying that but like if you if you could have a safe word and you can say, "Oh, i I don't want to do anymore," or you know, it's not to say you won't have any anxiety, but I really think like when i I hired a sex worker and mm. that helped me get rid of a lot of biphobia mm. in my head because I was like, and I felt really safe and really comfortable. I think that a lot of people who aren't familiar with sex work, um." again, like their perception of it may be very wrong in terms of what they think sex workers actually do. And like I said before, there's a lot of emotional support, Mm -hmm. actually, that a lot of sex workers do. And people can be understanding. And there's lots of there's a lot of articles online, I'm sure you have plenty of resources about how to be a good client. (laughs) And and not (laughs) all day Um, long. But there's, yeah, there's lots of different ways to approach it. And I think that like, That isn't a solution that's offered to a lot Mm -hmm. of people or that many people think of when they think – because that is sometimes a thing that gets people into polyamory, right? Is like, oh, I'm with a guy and I'm really interested in exploring my bisexuality. Let's open up our relationship. But Mm -hmm. actually, you hiring a sex worker on your own or even with your partner, Mm -hmm. if that's something Mm -hmm. you want to do, is totally a viable Mm -hmm. solution. And it's not even – it doesn't have to be just about like a hookup or about sex. Actually, the the sex worker involved can be really emotionally supportive of you, can really help you feel safe and comfortable. Mm-hmm. And it, it it even if you are on the A spectrum, I think it is a really important thing to consider, depending on your local laws and things like mm-hmm. that. I'm not gonna say mm-hmm. anything that would be, right. you know, you you <sighs> don't take my advice legally. But what I'm saying right. is is, you know, um this is a very a very viable option that I think more people should consider mm-hmm. because especially for people who have been through sexual trauma or people who have been, who've had, you know, abuse happen to them, you know, um, transactional so feels safer are,
0: for a lot of people. Yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah. yeah. So also, also like somebody who has that experience, like if it, in my experience, like, I mean, every, not every sex worker is the same, but like, some sex workers, if you say like, look, I've been through abuse. Mm -hmm. And like, these are the things that trigger my abuse, like, they'd be very understanding Mm -hmm. of that. Like, it's a very, very comfortable position. Actually, it it doesn't have to be it's not this like weird cold thing that people have inaccurately portrayed it to be. And it can be if people want it to be, that's Mm -hmm. fine. But I'm saying, if you want someone to actually be Helpful and and comforting that it this is this is a thing that can mm-hmm. happen. So I so support
0: decriminalization it. of sex work in every way we can. Yes, yes. I didn't expect you to say yes. this to go this route, but I'm really glad you did. And indeed, a lot of my clients have relationship issues, trauma history, caregiver abuse. Yeah, yeah. and and it's also really delightful when I hear a woman, you know, with her partner, um, whether it's. Well, mm-hmm. usually straight when when I hear woman say something like, "Oh, I've never touched other breasts, you know than my own," or like, "I've never touched another mm-hmm. naked woman or or gay couples sometimes where they're like, "Wow, we're together with you." And like, I'm not even jealous. I'm just turned on." I'm like, yes, so they're they're exploring mm-hmm. lots. people can explore lots of things with sex workers, yes, and I'm so glad you mentioned that, Lola,
1: yeah, and it can be it can be incredibly healing and incredibly important actually to have that. And it's, you know, you already said Mm -hmm. decriminalization is the most important thing. And I completely agree. And it's, it's not the way that it's portrayed in society and the way that it's viewed. It's, Mm -hmm. it's a very important, actually valuable thing for people who have survived lots of different Mm -hmm. things. And I think that it's not as valued as as a service as it as it definitely mm, should be. Thank
0: you, warming my heart. See, see folks, I'm not the only one who says this. Uh <laughs> thank yeah. you Lola Phoenix. <laughs> this was the anxiety and non-monogamy episode. Folks, find her nonmonogamyhelp.com on Twitter and Instagram. The book is The Anxious Person's Guide to Monogamy. Thank you so much for all of the resources and tips. And I hope mm-hmm. to see you on the internet.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate right, it. Until
0: next time. Lots of us know to grab a towel when we're on our period for period sex, but what if you could just get the layer? Try getthelayer.com because it's not just a sex blanket. It's great for not ruining sheets, bedding, furniture, whether you're on your period, whether you're a squirter, whether you're just trying to be polite. It's black. It's discreet. You can get 10% off when you getthelayer.com and use the code L-E-L-L-E all caps my name try it out let me know how you like it it is my travel companion get the layer.com